0: Hi, I'm Benjamin Herman, and this is Mastering Negotiations, a podcast series that'll help you negotiate more effectively. Whether you're embarking on a major business deal or looking to get more for your money, you'll hear tons of practical tips to help you get the best deal. In this episode, we're focusing on the 10 commandments of successful negotiation, from being irritating to feeling powerful and prepared to walk away. We'll examine the must-dos to get what you want in the negotiation room. With me in the studio are Joe Derriman, Sean James and Tony Hughes who have more than 50 years of negotiation experience behind them. So we are talking about the, the, the Ten Commandments. We Whether we'll get through all ten today uh, I, I'm not so sure because we're going to try and take a bit of a deeper dive the, than what people can get in the article which we'll, uh, we, we'll link to um, uh, later. So uh, Sean from, from, from our sort of ten commandments of effective negotiation. What um what stood out for you the the most? What what what's the, the, the prime one for you?
1: Um I think the prime one is is probably the most obvious as well, which is to um to prepare and plan your negotiation with with great care. Um I would say spending time before you go into negotiation, not only thinking about what it is that you're gonna negotiate, but but also why. You know, why is it important to you? Um why might it be important to them? So really focusing on not just the the, the issues that you're going to talk about, but the, the interests of both parties. So what is their interest in, in getting this deal? Because uh, clearly they come to the negotiating table for a reason. They want to do business with you. Um, and what we saw from our research is that skilled negotiators spend much more time thinking about things like you know, the, the common ground, the, the long-term considerations. Uh, whereas you know, less successful or, or, or average negotiators spend much more time focusing on just the issues themselves and, and gathering data and, and crunching the numbers.
2: It's fascinating because a lot of clients, when you start having conversations about that, they will actually admit we don't spend enough time in their world preparing or planning. Mm. So to do it with great care for the first instance it might be to prepare and plan in the first instance Mm -hmm. and then when you do it to really take time to think about how its best can be used because that in itself the act of taking time to sort of really consider what it can be could be quite alien to some Mm. people who find themselves negotiating
0: some people i talk to when when we ask them to sit down and actually play out okay you you're the other party right now now let's go and, and and try they they are worried about coming across uh false or awkward or too planned by doing that but that's not the effect we see it have what 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 um what does it feel like to go in fully ready for a negotiation
3: well you you certainly feel more powerful if you go in if you go in fully ready and um some of those things that you will be planning for is is what we, you might call what are our levers? What are those things that we've got that we can give away to get something else back for? And in identifying um, those levers, that, that in itself should give you a lot more confidence that there's something to trade with rather than it just be a, a, a single issue of, well, you do this and I'll do that.
1: And I think, in terms of, as you said, how it makes you feel, um, it probably feels a lot like when you. Go for an interview that goes really, really well, because you know that you've done the homework. You've you've looked at what the job specification is. You've matched it to what your skills are. You know you've got the experience behind you. You've know you've know you've got the the uh, the, the the skill to do the job. And when that goes really well is because you've had that preparation. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I used, to, I used to think about when I used to do interviews and whether I was interviewing somebody else or going for interviews myself, plan for the worst question that could be asked. Mm. So that when you've planned for it and you've considered what that response could be, when you're actually in that interview or in the meeting, if it does come up, you're a little bit more prepared. You can give yourself time to respond and it doesn't throw you off. So when you mentioned about sometimes it's quite fixed, well, mm. preparing and planning for any kind of meeting, whether it's negotiating or whatever, what you're trying to do is, is just give you a chance for wherever the conversation takes you, you've got control. You've got, control. You've got it, as much control as you can have.
1: It, it, it is. It's playing the, the, the what-ifs. Yeah. So um, beyond what you'd expect to, to talk about, you know, what if they brought this issue to the table? What if they asked me this question? And it's being creative about that, so that cause, uh, you know, there's nothing worse in negotiation than a surprise. Yeah. Uh, and if you've if you've thought about and you, you know not cover every eventuality of course, but um, at least give yourself some time in that preparation to think about what if they want to discuss this particular issue, uh, what if this comes up? Am I prepared for that?
0: Some people just don't feel like natural planners. Um, that they feel like it's alien to them. And we, we give them a, on the program sort of bunches of, of tools and things like that. But what would be um, just one exercise or one activity? If, if I'm going to up my chances, if I'm, I'm if I am quite new
3: to being more prepped, what, what is the one thing I should should do more of? Um, make sure that you've got all of the issues there that you think could be tradable. And it's quite easy for somebody to just go, well, there's only one or two. Uh, price or volume or whatever, if it's a commercial negotiation. But there will be lots of others in there, like time periods, um, like delivery, like some of those things that you wouldn't normally think about. The more of those you can get, but also then to to rank them in level of importance for you and also how important you think they are for the other side, because that will allow you to identify, and this is another of the, the com- commandments that we would talk about, it, it would ident- identify what the levers are, those things that are less important to you that might be more important to them. so so you're quite prepared to give things away to get those things back. So it's very important that you look at the relative importance to each side of those negotiable issues.
0: Mm. Okay, so let's let's stay with levers then as one of the, the commandments because we, we talk about figuring figuring them out and then being prepared to to use them. How do we actually go about using our levers in a negotiation?
1: Um, again, as, as Tony mentioned, is figuring out I, I, in, in some cases as, as a best guess what do we perceive they'll value the most. What do, what do we perceive we perceive they'll value less than that? And again, conversely, what 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 do we value and what's important to us and what's less important? Uh, and from that, we can trade on those issues. Yeah, um, and this may be giving, giving away slightly for for us, but if you think about things like um, Case studies. Mm. So th- that's something that's really important for us as a business to be able to to demonstrate and show potential clients that you know we can you know, we can deal with those big implementations or uh, you know, whatever um, rollout they want from us. And that's something that the our customers can give away quite easily. You know? And it's of low value to them, but it's a big importance to us. So if they wanted to use that. <laughs> As a lever, that's that's a way of getting movement in negotiation. But,
3: but in coming back to how to, what, what, what's quite important is if you have something which is low value, and we could take the case study as an example. It's very important that you don't let the other side know that it's low value, mm. now, because if and again we might be giving things away, but if the mm-hmm. other side were to say, well, actually, I, yeah, I'll do a case study straight away, then they're not going to get much back for it. If if they've got to put a lot of effort into going to different people in the organisation to check at higher levels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, to, or at least give the impression they've got to do that, then they're likely to get more back for it. So in the how tos, it's it's kind of it's kind of let let don't let people know that that it's easy for you to give something that allows you to get more back for it. Excellent, that's that that that's helpful. Um, Joe, you got a commandment for us? What?
0: Uh...
2: Yeah, I think one of the ones that. We do get asked a lot is, you know, can we just, you know, what are the quick tips? What are the things that we need to think about? And what I've observed and what we saw with the research is sometimes when we try in negotiation to get our point across or to agree the terms is we try and use logic. And what we say is logic is not necessarily persuasive. And that can be a shock to some people when you're talking because they're very logical. They're a logical being, which is potentially what makes them a good negotiator because they can move the process forward. But what we say is logic is only persuasive if both parties or everybody in the room has the same logic. So it's more a case of don't assume that using logic will get you your argument and that it will agree to it. but think about where do both parties come from, where are they, what's their mindset? Um, so yeah, thinking using logic sometimes doesn't work in our advantage.
0: Well, we can be quite hooked <laughs> on it though, because we we think it does. Because logic's how how we reconfirm and convince ourselves Absolutely. that we agree with that point. So uh, suppose you noticed yourself trapped in you're you're just about to come out with a logical argument to uh, to to convince someone of your point. What should you do instead to convince someone?
3: To convince somebody,
0: well, for, yeah. for, for those, yeah,
3: yeah. Um, well, I think you've got to think about it from their side. So, so for example, if let me take a very simple one about logic, but not negotiation. But if 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 logic was persuasive and right, nobody would smoke. I don't know any smoker that actually says it's the right thing to do is to smoke. Mm-hmm. The way they get persuaded is for people to start them to look at the implications for them as themselves, as what happens when they smoke. And eventually, you know, some of that message may go through and it may be strong enough to make the point to them. But the very fact of it's not logical to smoke isn't persuasive. You know, when you write, when you, write you may die on the side of a package of cigarettes and you still go on and do it, that definitely doesn't mean that logic is persuasive. Yeah.
1: And, and, and they can maybe understand the logic. Uh, they may agree with it in principle. Absolutely. But uh, will it change behavior? No,
3: no, no. What might? But then you've got to think. Well, what will change the way that they do? What will make them see sense in this case? I suppose. But but um, even though they know it's sensible not to do it, and it may be looking at the implications of it for the people, the, kill, the children, all those kind of things. So, so, so when we're talking about um, about not persuading logically, we're really talking about trying to um, decide how you're going to persuade somebody. And if you and if it's quite powerful, then you might be able to just tell them. Right? But uh, but that's unusual. In most cases, persuasion is a a combination of getting them to think for themselves by asking very good questions, uh, getting them to start to think about the implications of something and, and build value for things in that way rather than just forcing it through with a logical argument.
2: I also find that when someone's trying to use logic on me if it is something I don't agree with I have a different logical argument I get irritated or my defenses come up because you're trying to tell me how to think and in negotiations that's going to be counterintuitive you you're getting you're not going for the right outcome you're not really sending the right message so actually thinking about is this reacting is the other person agreeing with me or are they starting to Display other behaviours that would say they're getting annoyed with it would be another indicator of why it's not persuasive.
0: So we're talking about a, a lot there about what what's going on in our heads and in the other person's head. And one of the other things we say in the Ten Commandments is the idea that power is also something that's in in the head. So uh, Sean, tell us a little bit more about what, what we mean when we say power is in the head. It is a very complex topic
1: because it it does um, kind of surround. All aspects of negotiation—from how you prepare, how you plan, how you behave during the negotiation—but it's just that principle that um, it, it is a perception. It's not a tangible or real thing. And if you walk into a negotiation feeling powerful, then the chances are you will behave and act powerfully as well. And conversely, so yeah. Uh, you know, where do we get that power from? Various sources, like the information that we have to hand, like the you know the situation. Uh, you know, like our experience our our status with an organization but it, we have to remember that power in every negotiation is a balance you know they they are at the negotiating table because they want to do business with you you know it, it may not always end up in a deal but you know there's always a balance and it's recognizing what that balance is uh, and planning for it and behaving in a
0: way that maximizes your power so when when, when I talk with people about powers in the head and kind of maximizing that power as you're talking uh, sometimes people sort of mistake that or misunderstand it as an idea of um kind of your fake it till you make it kind of thing if you just pump yourself up just feel great just go in yeah. there uh <laughs> give give some showers make, make your powerful move that that's gonna gonna do it why is uh
3: why is what we're talking about different to that i think um if you look at those areas that t- that Sean talked about about things that give you power, that's absolutely true. But the, I think the most powerful thing is knowing what happens if you don't get a deal. So if you if you don't get a deal with this, what's your fallback position? And that really does set your power. If you if you're selling something and you know you've got a great market to sell it to, if you don't make this deal, you're going to feel powerful. If you walk into that and you don't have anywhere else to sell it, then you've got to have another way of making yourself feel powerful enough to be able to, to move forward. So, so in the preparation and planning that we've talked a lot about, one of the most important things is planning what that fallback is. What's, what's going to happen if I don't get a deal? And that's, and, and if, if you've got lots of alternatives, then, um, then you'll feel more powerful. What I like about what you've described there is that that fallback
0: is something entirely different to this deal that we're talking about here. It's not about, it's not about a, a fallback position mm. with this same organization or with this same other party. It's a different other thing. And, and sometimes, uh, people will think that their fallback is just a different worst case scenario mm. in the same room. Yes. It's not a worst case scenario on this deal. It's a different deal. Something else entirely yeah. different. And, yeah. and and of course that make that makes sense then. If I if I feel entirely comfortable that I've got something over here, then the moment the deal I'm doing with you drops below that point, I'm comfortable walk to, away. to walk uh, away. And that
2: comes back to prepare and plan with great care. So one of the things that you would want to think about is what could my fallback position be? So rather than having to think about it on the spot in the actual meeting, you've come and thought and given due Mm. due care to thinking, well, what could an alternative deal with somebody else look like to improve your chances? And also to think, well, the, the power doesn't say it's not static. It's not, I've come in with this amount of power and that will stay that way. Through the course of a natural conversation, a natural negotiation, there'll be times when you have more power, that they have more power and it's to recognize when can I regain it if i feel it slipping away if i feel that i'm doing something that i shouldn't be doing when can i see the signs to to re- regain that power back
0: so so let's suppose i do feel it slipping away yeah what's my i'm going to keep on asking you what's the one thing because i'm relatively lazy um so what <laughs> what if i could do one thing to start to pull back a, you know i've got that first uh, jitter in my stomach that i just Drop the ball for a while, and I, I need to pull something back. What's one of the things I can do to start to pull some power back?
2: I'd say it's using the behaviours. So you know, asking a question. Mm. So rather mm. than just always give information or always have to agree on somebody else's terms, maybe ask some seeking information questions, finding out why it is they want something. Give some clarity or some background to where they're coming from so that it gives you chance to really consider, is this something I can agree to? Is it something I can't? And then if I can't, maybe consider explaining first what the reasons are and then saying yes or no. Mm. So sometimes just using all the, the different behaviours will give us that opportunity to claim and, a- a-
3: and asking those <clears throat> questions, isn't, it isn't just about the information you get back. Um, if you think about it, the person controlling a conversation is the one that's asking the questions. It's not the one that's giving the information so so purely and simply by asking the questions gives you more control which in itself says well actually I've probably got more power here than I than I thought I'd got mm-hmm. because if you're on the if you're on the receiving end of questions all the time and having to give and give and give information or concessions or whatever it might be you feel weaker so so the behaviour is a very just the use of the behaviour is not necessarily what comes out of it. it is something that gives you more powerful feelings so t- to be able to use those
0: behaviours we have to have Developed that that wider behavioural repertoire of things to, to use. Mm. How, Sean, how do we go about developing more behavioural skill? Because that's another of our commandments, isn't it?
1: It is, and of course, you if you have a a plan, you've got then got to go and execute that plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there are certain behaviours that we know will uh, will help, and, and certain behaviours that um, conversely not help. Uh, and you know, in in the context of the the time we have here. Um you know, if you focus on um you know kind of the key behaviors from our research around what we know is effective and Tony's already touched upon that is is the ability to ask questions um uh, because what does it what does it do for your negotiation well it it helps to control the conversation uh, so there's an element of power there um but they also have various other functions as well you know so if I really want to understand the other party's position, the best way to get to that is by asking questions. Uh, things like what we call seeking reasons. You know, if if somebody puts down a um, uh, a, a term that we're not entirely happy with, or we that jars a little, uh, we can react to that. We can maybe disagree with it, but actually, maybe a smarter thing to do is just ask more questions about it. So, w- why do you want a longer contract? Why are you looking for a price reduction in the in the, in the current market conditions? So the ability to ask questions and it's a relatively simple thing for us to 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 change and to flex as a behaviour, but extremely powerful in a, a negotiation context.
3: And to put it to put it in context, over twenty two percent of a skilled negotiator's behaviour is some form of asking questions, which is when you think about it, over a fifth of everything a nego- mm. skilled negotiator does is questioning, not giving information. And that's quite quite high. Mm. So, that's the behaviors we want to do
0: more of as we're developing that skill. And it's, uh, we know it's really hard for people to actually stop doing or, or, or cut down on behaviors that we say are less effective. What are some of the things that we say, Joe, uh, skilled negotiators use less frequently or use more carefully?
2: I think the risk we have when people are discussing terms of a negotiation. Yeah. And especially if it's later on and you're maybe a bit more pressed for time, is we don't give the proposal much thought, much consideration. So we end up doing behaviors like proposal. So if you were to um, suggest, uh, for example, a, pr- a price of something at X and the person responding immediately says, no, why? It's kind of thinking about what is that message that what are you sending to that other person? And you've not really listened to them. You've not really given it any any thought. So, it counter proposals tend to get into more um, a, a sort of a, a price. Uh, I want to say horse trading, but you know, when we go in and we're sort of negotiating in a in a Turkish. Um, marketplace for carpets, that's maybe acceptable. But in business, we actually want to show we've given thought. So we should stop from reacting instantaneous and give people a chance to explain maybe why they've come with that term and then respond more appropriately with more um, conditional responses.
0: And those conditional responses, when we use the word if, yeah. I, I'm prepared to, to move to your 78 if You can also give me additional volume. Yeah.
3: Um, Tony, uh, give us another commandment. Well, one relates to what you just said using the word if. I mean, if you've you've spent all that time uh, preparing and planning for this negotiation, the last thing you want to do... Is to give things away without getting anything back. So, so one of the simple ways of putting that is always trade. Don't concede. Don't just give things. Now, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, it's not possible to always stick to all of these commandments. Mm-hmm. There, there will come a time when, on that example, for, um, you 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 might feel it's right to actually give something when you haven't traded something, even if it's just to set the environment. You know, just to just to, just to make it. Um, feel nicer if you see what I mean mm. um, but as a general rule we shouldn't really be giving things and, and, unless we're trading them and, and also related to that is all those trades are hypothetical on all those other trades happening mm. okay so so imagine it's um, it's about keeping everything up in the air and if you listen to negotiations you'll see that they may go on for hours and hours and hours and, and when we're watching them we're thinking this is not going anywhere. And then all of a sudden, within the last fifteen minutes, everything drops into place, because all those things that were hypothetical are now real, and and everybody's happy, and so it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. So you might get a summary at the end of it that goes, well, okay, we can agree this, 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 and this, and you've said you can agree this, 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 and this, and then and then the the, the negotiations finished. So it's keep everything up in the air and make sure that you trade rather than just concede items.
0: Joe, we have this commandment of, of, of don't just cut the pie, grow it. What, what do we mean when we're talking about that?
2: So I think it's that we can be fixated on just talking about one small issue or just what we think is is the topic on the, con- on the table. But I think it's about really exploring where else you can grow the opportunity. Most negotiations in a business sense, you're looking at long-term relationships. You're looking at, you know, doing business with them, repeatedly. So think about where else you can grow the relationship, grow the the outcome, because it might be that expanding your thinking allows you to have better tradable items rather than just thinking, well, I only want this small item, this small portion of the pie.
0: Has anyone got any examples of um, instances that they have either been involved in or heard from where, where people successfully managed to grow a pie? in a negotiation, actually to achieve something
3: beyond what was uh, first in scope. Well, yeah, well, I think that's it. it it's beyond what was first in scope. And, and you may get there believing that um, it is just about everything that's on the table and slicing it up. But when you start to look, as as Joe said, if you start to look at longer-term relationships, there may be more behind this than just this one deal. and it's And it's more valuable for both sides to do a deal together than it is for one side to go off and do a deal with somebody else. And then that and in that sense then then the the opportunity will grow um, rather than just be about, well, this this one particular time that we're negotiating. And I think we've also got to remember with that, not that there's a phrase called win-win negotiating, which is used mm-hmm. a lot. But not but not all negotiations are win-win. You know, in some cases, if you're not bothered about a long-term relationship, if you only want the best for you at that particular time then it's not necessarily to have a win-win negotiation. A win-win is about when both sides are going to go away with something which is valuable to them, and it isn't necessarily a fifty-fifty. Mm. It isn't necessarily that I've got a fifty um, percent of uh, what I wanted and you've got fifty percent, or even I've got a hundred percent and you've got a hundred percent. As long as people are going away satisfied, then then we would call that a win-win. Negotiation, but it is important to remember not all negotiations are win-win. If you're buying a car from a car um, showroom, you probably don't care if you ever see that salesman or that showroom again. You just want to get the best deal you can at that time.
0: Um, absolutely. So, and part of the uh, part of the figuring out of what someone else is going to be satisfied with is, is what goes into that planning and prep that we talked about. And of course, you part of the reason you can get that deal from that same dealership is because you can walk away to a a dealership right round, around the corner. Um, we use a phrase that that's been spoken about a lot, um, but basically everyone's getting it wrong. Um, <laughs> and, and and this is this idea that one of our commandments said that no deal is better than a bad deal, which has been you know ho- horribly yeah. um, uh, uh, overused.
3: Um, wh- why is it wrong? Why why, well, why are they well? well I, I'm assuming that when you're saying overused it's, been <laughs> overused, it's been overused by usually Theresa May in regard to the Brexit negotiations. Yeah. And it, and it's wrong because under normal circumstances, no deal means you remain with the status quo. So a simple example of buying a car, if I walk away from you, uh, as you're the salesman, I'm the, I'm the um, buyer. If I walk away, I haven't got a car, you've still got it. The status quo is the same. Okay, mm-hmm. I can go somewhere else and and get a buy a car from somewhere else, and he can sell that car to somebody else in the brexit negotiations. That was never going to be the case. No deal meant didn't mean the status quo. we were always going to have to have a change from where we were, so it was a bad it was a bad phrase to use really um because it then became synonymous with the word no deal and no deal in the brexit negotiations actually meant just that we were going to walk away completely and things we're going to be very, very different. So, but in the context of normal negotiations, what we would be saying is that um, don't just accept a deal for the sake of it. You know, if you've worked out those things that we talked about before, where your fallback position is, then if you've got that right, then you're probably better off walking away with no deal than you are accepting a bad one.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Huthwaite International. For more information and for the list of all 10 commandments, visit Horizons, Huthwaite's thought leadership platform, where you can find a whole host of tips and advice to help you master the art of negotiating. Huthwaiteinternational.com forward slash commandments.